0: You know, we all have a to-do list. There's lots of stuff on it. you got to get your dry cleaning. you got to get your milk. Here's an idea. Put save hundreds of dollars on car insurance on your to-do list. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. In 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance, extra money in your pocket. It may be the most rewarding thing you do today. Now, Podcast One brings you Spikes Car Radio. A downloadable Cars and Coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Hi, everybody. Guess who I have here today? Mr. Kevin Pollock.
1: Could Is, they guess? Um, Is that a thing? Did you. I think they probably would have it?
0: seen maybe your picture on Instagram or my uh-huh. story. You so, were promoting, were you? I will be. <laughs> oh yeah when will this drop like six months from now no uh tomorrow really yeah it's that
1: fast you're well either that or you're just not ahead (laughs) (laughs) but
0: i have like 30 shows coming up that we're recording you're the first of like 30 and i need a show for next week you're about to slam into 30 probably
1: yeah oh man yeah it's gonna be good so you'd like to take time off I do, yeah. I'm a writer. Well I'm a comedy writer. I understand. Yeah. And I'm a fan. And yeah. I and oh, I realized you. on the drive over listening to you and Adam Carolla about the uh the Ford Ferrari. Um that and I hadn't thought this before because I'd I've been listening for a while to this particular podcast. Not all of them, but a lot of them. This mine. Yours. Wow. Yeah. You're kidding. Uh be I, a cruel I... thing to kid about. <laughs>
0: I'm always surprised that anybody <laughs> me. too. Even I always was too. I, I mean I get that. I get that's that. That's very
1: nice of you to say. Uh sorry for finishing up and No, note. go ahead. But um I, I I you know, Adam was uh he he was fun I, I, when I had him on my uh chat show. But I made the mistake of mine I was sort of uh so early in the in the podcast world that you would have to explain to people what a podcast was. And that's still <laughs> somewhat true, but not in 2009 in 2009 i had a machete in each hand (laughs) i mean (laughs) wait now the chat show is your podcast sorry yeah so there's how long have you been doing it i i quit last march there's 400 wow episodes about 350 to 360 of them are video because for almost 10 years i finished 10 years 400 episodes i said that's that's good if, I, if you haven't turned it into an institution, <laughs> if your podcast is not a conglomerate that owns a building, right? Um, you should stop doing it, is what I learned. Well, you do, you do so much. I diversify. But don't you find,
0: you know, having done 400 shows, I, I always find that I feel better being interviewed or interviewing someone after that hour. For some reason, I feel better.
1: Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. I don't know what that is. There Do are you? very few where I f- didn't feel better. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, after Adam Kroll, I felt drained. <laughs> well, no, i drained of my life force. Yes. You yes. know, I love him, and I just did his show recently, and um, he's he- just one of the great ball busters of all time, so I always I, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> California Jew, which means I'm basically Catholic, but I, I uh, <laughs> It's, he's very uh, caustic for a California person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I, Especially I, yeah. Southern California because I'm from Northern California. Where, right. You're from well, you're San gonna, Francisco. You're going to get your caustic.
0: Yes. Um, well, he's the king of podcast one. We love Adam. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. A, 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 you know what I like about Adam? He, you, know, you can just ask him one question and then that's the 45 minutes. This, is was,
1: this was what the great hosts of <laughs> talk shows – I mean Carson was the greatest audience ever. Yes. And Letterman was a great art, and Conan would just love you to just mm-hmm. wind it up for six minutes. Right, and he could just sit back and not worry about a thing. Did you do Carson? You did Carson, right? I did a couple dozen Carson's. Yeah, it was. Uh, there'll never be a thrill like. I want to hear was Christmas morning every time. You know, you. I've never met you before, but it's I. Weird. But
0: I've been watching you forever. Yeah, from Usual Suspects, I think is where you first were on my radar. Right up until you passed on a few good men. What's that? You... No, I said where I first started. Oh. Where I first started. Then I've been watching you since then, uh-huh. right up until Meisel, which I'm watching you constantly now in my house Why and did my I wife. think you were Jewish? I am a little Jewish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather's name is Morris Fernstein. Gotcha. But he married Eileen Donovan. And that's what why it became Fierstein. And then he said, "I can't be a Jewish doctor on the Upper East Side of New York." Sure, married it, back in the day, you sure. can't do that because right. she's Catholic. So I'm going to change my name.
1: inexplicably. Yeah, <laughs> to Ferriston. Right. I only asked because of the way you pronounced Basil. Yeah, I, I did. I pronounce it wrong. It doesn't matter. So what I was going to say—clearly, well, it does. What I was going to say on the drive over, and I was listening to you and Adam Carolla. I never thought of it before because you know I do impressions of my stand-up act all these years, so I have a—I mm-hmm. have a trick ear, I would call it. Um, and and you could if John Benjamin gets into trouble on. Uh, on Bob's Burgers. Yes. You could fill it. Really? It's weird. Wow. I never thought of it before. As I said, I've been listening to your voice for a while. I would love to
0: do that. But on I the would drive
1: here, there was a couple of. You just need to slow it down and be exceptionally droll. <laughs> right.
0: And then you could
1: slip right in. I can't. In.
0: I'm not like you. And this is what fascinates me about you is your. This is it? This is where I'm going with it because you've, you've, you're talking about me as an actor, and I, I know that's my limitation. I did it a lot in high school. I've tried it professionally here. It never works. I can't do the audition. I can play myself. I've been in things. I've, please, you have no idea. But I'm, I can't do anything else, and when it comes to somebody else's words, I have a lot of trouble.
1: Sure. You, on the other hand, start as a stand
0: up comedian, right? Yes. At a very young age in San Francisco. Yeah. How old were you?
1: Uh, 20 when I sort of took it seriously, but I started performing in in clubs when when I was 18, 17. It says says here you started at age 10. Well, I performed (laughs) for the first time. So my mother caught me, literally, home alone with a comedy album, (laughs) lip-syncing it, (laughs) standing in front of the 7-foot stereo. Wow. Remember the 7-foot wide stereo hi-fi? The stereo was a piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. Um, Because my, my mom had brought home... A comedy album. I keep saying comedy album because I—it's I, difficult. I'm trying to make the jump on just how to say his name without any asterisk. But there's always going to be an asterisk <laughs> I there. I think I know who. Well, album because in the liner about. notes, in the liner notes, it didn't say we "will be the most prolific serial rapist in history of show business." Yes. Um, <laughs> it was a more innocent time back then. It was. So right. I was standing in front of the, uh, the furniture. Because I'd seen my parents laughing uncontrollably at this voice coming from the Mm -hmm, furniture mm -hmm. as the album played, and I just thought, I'd never seen them laugh like that, ever. I didn't even understand what the guy in the stereo was talking about, but I saw my parents losing their mind, Um, almost as if they were openly sobbing, you know, and it was that sort of raw emotion that was, what? Yeah, because I'm 10 years old, and so when no one was around, I put the comedy album back on, I was trying to understand and also <laughs> i found it funny instantly yeah and then not knowing that lip-syncing was a thing not thinking that i had created lip-syncing i was just playing i was just interacting there were no interactive games in 67 so i just stood in front of the, this furniture and i lip-synced the comedy album as if i were the one telling the story so that's sort of how i got the feeling of being the performer and my I mean, mater- your mom caught you. And my, my my material was Bill Cosby's first album. <laughs> I mean, I was great. I was talk about a writer. Yes, I was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I by the way, I just I pitched this show. I wanted to do like lip sync battle. I wanted to do a comedy lip sync battle. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't replicate it even with the material unless you can do the performance.
1: Well, as a t- I will tell you this though, as a ten- did your, but did your mom and dad laugh at you? My mom saw me doing it and snapped her fingers at me and said, "You're doing that for the Zucker's at Passover." <laughs> oh, there and you my go. first stage was a white painted fireplace with a little lip that I could stand on, uh, and I performed for twenty to thirty people at at the Passover gathering. The and, and the, Bill Cosby's material, the "No and the Ark" routine in specific. Wow, and, and how did and, they go? Uh, killed, slayed. Because again, <laughs> it's his. <laughs> Material and, yes. and his timing, <laughs> and my timing was to clear my throat when he did by raising my hand up to my mouth. I mean, I had it down. So the sight of this precocious ten-year-old Jewish kid lip-syncing Bill Cosby, um, I believe, before the serial raping began. Sixty-seven. <laughs> Are we clear in sixty-seven? I think we're in the clear. I'm not sure. I don't timeline. know. I don't know that that story's been yes. told yet. No. Um, but again, not in the liner notes, so there's no way to know. Mm-hmm. Uh. So that was – and then I started performing that act in school. Mm -hmm. I I did it for every gathering all through junior high and high school, whether it was the assembly, the father-daughter dinner dance, the folk festival, whatever the events were, get Pollock to do that bit. And then I started developing voices and impersonations and stuff on my own. And I eventually started speaking in my act. <laughs> but, you know, I, I later found out that, you know, Jerry Lewis started by lip syncing Danny Kaye albums. And this had been a thing. This had been kind of a weird tradition.
0: And it's even represented in the Amazon show. Mazel. Maisel? How do you pronounce Maisel? it? Mazel. Sure. Right? Your son, the character who plays your son, that's how he does stand-up. Well, he
1: just straight up ripped off the album, which, which you know, <laughs> it's another weird thing coming up super young in in San Francisco with 20 stand up uh you you did take from other people's act material wise on occasion if you were playing a a satellite room outside of the city you know you would you would take a few bits from somebody else really? that no one had seen because you don't have enough material yet and your job is to kill mm-hmm. for 20 minutes whatever it was and i remember i was called out by by one of the San Francisco comics and he said, I heard you did my bit about this. And I said, yeah, like a tr- true innocent. Well, yeah. And he said, yeah, you, you don't do that. You can't do that. And so, you know, it seems painfully obvious. Yeah. But if yeah. no one gives you the rules, you don't know what they are. You don't know. Right? Um, now it makes me crazy when someone else's bit comes through my brain and, and I, I I I give reference to them immediately if, mm-hmm. if, if something does come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Who, who else is part of that original San Francisco – Dana Carvey. I mean, I, Carvey's up there, Yeah, right? And you heard about the San Francisco International Stand-Up Comedy Competition? No. Okay. So that's a thing in San Francisco, and it, I think it thrives to this day. And all the – almost no, a lot of the big-name comedians uh, came through that competition, many of which started in San Francisco. Steve Martin was up there for a while. Steve was there. He, he recorded Let's Get Small, his first comedy album at the boarding house where a couple of nights ago because there's a thing called San Francisco Sketch Fest or SF Sketch Fest where you should do this podcast from someday if you want Mm -hmm. because they do it in big theaters and people come out. Um, I saw John Glazer, who I love, uh, uh, perform on that same stage which is now Cobb's Comedy Club. But it was the boarding house back in the uh, 70s when, I think it was the 70s when he did Let's Get Small. Pretty sure. So so it's definitely the 70s.
0: The segue into acting... This is the this is the,
1: the the pivot that I'm fascinated with with you. Well, it might have started in front of the furniture because I was I was acting mm-hmm. as like. if I were a a grown man comedian. Mm-hmm. I wasn't myself, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I started doing impersonations, uh, I wasn't myself, and I was inhabiting and embodying the gestures and cadence and line readings of geniuses, right, be it Albert Brooks, be it Alan Arkin, you know, and so I learned, like, I I insist to this day, when I impersonate Albert Brooks, I think... Faster and funnier than I do as myself. <laughs> do you want to interview Albert Brooks for a minute? <laughs> sure. All right. Let's sure. It. Albert, it's nice to see you, my friend. First of all, what kind of a name is Spike? <laughs> well,
0: that's it's a nickname.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Does that, Does anyone know your actual name? Um, can I Can I guess it?
0: Sure. Go let's ahead. give me a multiple choice. Would okay. You do that for me.
1: Give me four names. <clears throat> yep. And I will. Uh, I will come within one name of being correct. Okay.
0: It's either A. David. B. Eric. C. Michael. Or Or D, uh, Tom. Okay, it's definitely not Tom. <laughs> Why?
1: Because you searched for it. You, you have a tell. I, I li- I'm going to be a detective right now. Okay. In fact, you threw out David so fast, right. I have an inclination to think it was David. Right. Because uh, your imagination just stopped. And yes. You said, I'll give him the real name first, Right. and then uh, I, I, I can't but do that. That's this. good. That was fantastic. But uh, you know my
0: real name is Michael.
1: I think everyone knows. That. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> really? Sure. I doubt it. <clears throat> um,
1: all well, right. Well, first of all, not everyone knows you. Not
0: everybody even knows me. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Did you you might. You, you know Jerry, right? You've done stand up with Jerry? Are you part of that uh, seminal group of the Leno, the Seinfeld, those early
1: stand up so guys they would, who invented it. Each of them each of them would come through <clears throat> San Francisco and I would open up for them. Mhm. So When I did that, they saw something they liked, and they each said Leno, Reiser, Seinfeld, um, Shanling. They said, when you come to Los Angeles, let me know, and I'll put you – I'll make sure you get stage time. Wow. You know? And so when I did come to Los Angeles, uh, they made sure I got stage time. It was really at the improv. That was the – Right. And then I would go to their Tonight Show appearances, Right. And I would go with Seinfeld and I would go with Paul and I would go with Jerry uh, – Seinfeld and and, um, and Shandling too. And, uh, and so
0: – And what was that like? I mean well, you're standing in the wings. You're watching all, these guys on this show, right? You're Were you
1: backstage ch- in their dressing room. Yeah. Right? So you don't see Carson beforehand. No. But you see Jim McCauley, the, the famed gatekeeper. If you follow co- comedy, specifically comedians who still insist on talking about The Tonight Show. Yes. As if it were Valhalla, because it was. <laughs> uh, but it just ages us so instantly. It's, right. It's, it's kind of crazy. No,
0: it's not. It's it's about ambition. I, I, I always key in on this these moments of ambition, these moments where you pop and how it happens. And so many people, I'm sure, reach out to you as they reach out to me and go, how do you do this? How do you get found? And, yeah. You know, I... I love, you know, everything I'm hearing is so amazing like the idea that Jerry and these guys are gracious. I've always noticed that in stand up. They help other people out, but they bring you to to LA. Right, and now you're yeah. you're the big fish in the little pond in San Francisco, that's and you exactly come here, right. yeah. and you're like, starting oh my God, there's, you're starting over. Yeah. And then they walk you into this sacred place that can make your career. And they right, say, to Bud Friedman,
1: it. the next gatekeeper, put <laughs> yep. this kid on, and, and that's bu- what they do. And Bud right? looks through you like you're a ghost, and right. eventually he puts you on.
0: <laughs> Um, but when you get to that Tonight Show and you're there and you meet the gatekeeper, Jay Jimmy,
1: McCauley, so are I, you feeling jealous? Like God, I gotta. Well, initially, I, no. Initially, you're you're you are the first child that ever walked into a candy store, and you right. cannot believe, right. you're backstage at the Tonight Show. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. Right, you can't believe you're you're in show business, mm-hmm. really.
0: Um, I felt the same way when I went to Saturday Night Live as an intern. Of course. I could not believe I was here
1: uh, at Thirty a, it's Rock, walking very, up there. Right. That's a great analogy for this because that's that's the same feeling. Right. When the, when it's an institution of that size, then you just what? And then but look at the connections you've just made in that single moment. Well, so it paid off huge because I got to know Jim McCauley as in that milieu first. Right. Right. Um, so that when I eventually bumped into him at in the Outer dining area at the Improv in Los Angeles. Um, I said, hey, Jim, how's it going? You know, it was that. Whereas everyone else, all the other comedians were so intimidated by this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So for the listeners that don't know, Jim McCauley was the segment producer but the talent coordinator for stand-up comedians, as in – he had to find new stand-up comedians to go on The Tonight Show, and Johnny was a great fan of stand-up, and there's mm-hmm. legendary stories of who he spontaneously paneled as only a handful of people. If he gave you the okay sign after your set, it meant you were coming back. If he just applauded, you were, you were dead in the water. Um, LAUGHTER but Macaulay <laughs> had, to, had to circle acts, mm-hmm. we would call it. He had to circle an act for a while to make sure not only you were ready for the tonight show, that you had a tight six minutes. That... And, and what does that mean? Would he come to the clubs? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And so he, he, he had to make sure I eventually learned not only did you have a tight six minutes that you could do on the show. Right. And he would work with you on it because he knew what Johnny liked, or, or so goes his version. Um, but he had he had to make sure you had two segments prepared because he knew if you killed that first time, Johnny would say that kid was great. Bring him back right away. Yeah. That kid was
0: fantastic. <laughs> what sure? was that time period? The next time, like if he came back that second time, well, was it a month later or, no, or it sometimes si-
1: it was a week later? So the point was a G- week. Macaulay had to make sure you had two shots ready. Wow. Yeah, it was it was rare. That someone came back a week later. But it happened. And if it happens once, like if Macaulay picks the wrong comedian, then Johnny would rip off his head and shit down his neck. Right, right. Mean, that was also <laughs> – Macaulay lived in fear of Johnny, and we all lived in fear of Macaulay. Right. Right? So I walked through one night after knowing him the way I explained, and I said, hey, Jim, how's it going? Who are you here to see tonight? Because he was always there to see someone. And he said, well, the person I was here to see, I just saw on the list canceled. So I'm gonna, I saw your name on the list. I'm going to stick around and watch your set because I think you might be ready for the show. And what came out of my mouth next had not been rehearsed. <laughs> it had not even been thought. Mm-hmm. It's important for you to know that. I said, well, Jim, uh, I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty much waiting since the age of 10 for this to happen, <laughs> um, this exact moment. I've been a fan of the show since I was 10. My parents let me watch. Um, I I know everything about the inner workings of the show, as you know, backstage as well. And I know that although I've waited my entire life to do stand-up on the show, watching my heroes and Albert Brooks and and Steve Martin and Don Rickles uh, do their stand-up back from the couch in the guise of a conversation, I think that's where I'll kill most because of the impersonations. And because Johnny does impersonations himself, and I think if I sit next to him and do an impersonation in a, in a conversational story, that's where I'll kill. Now, and Jim's just staring at me, and I say, now I understand also well <laughs> enough to know that there's a protocol, that you cannot bring me to the couch unless I have a movie out or a TV show out, and you can bring me out in that world, and then I can do the do the impressions. And so what I guess what I'm saying is, I think I'm willing to wait until I have a TV show or a movie out where you can bring me right to the couch because that will be life-changing. And he stared at me um, as if I just stepped off an alien ship. <laughs> um, and uh, and I instantly started feeling like an asshole for saying it. But mm-hmm. again, it was, it was really coming from a pure um, deconstruction of what the show is and what it could be for me mm-hmm. more so than – um,
0: <laughs> what the obvious what they needed, what it seems like
1: <laughs> for that so, night's show. <laughs> yeah. So he stared at me a bit, and then he said, "Do you have a TV show or a movie coming out anytime soon?" And um, what I did not tell him was that I I uh, did not even have an agent. I didn't even have any auditions at that point. And I just said, "No, no, but I'm uh, look, Jim. I may call you back in an hour, and if you give me a number." <laughs> And beg for the opportunity you just offered me. But he said, no, no, you're not wrong. You will have a greater impact from that couch. Right. I've seen your act. You will absolutely have a greater impact from the couch. And you're also right that I'm not going to bring you on the show until you have a TV show or a movie in that capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're only going to get better. So if you want to wait, let's see how long you can wait. It's fine with me. If you want to wait, just let me know, you know. And I, and so I didn't tell anyone that I had this conversation. Wow. I, you know, I didn't tell my circle of comedian friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell anyone for fear that they would say part of my thought process at that point, which was, you're an asshole. Yes. Go say yes.
0: Right. What is the matter with you? Right. Which sometimes we need. We need this little push.
1: Yeah. Well. What uh, did you do? I had a singular idea. I've, I actually saw myself – because, again – I, it was almost Rupert Pupkin in my sense of <laughs> of fandom of that show from Scorsese's King of Comedy. Uh, I hadn't built a set in my basement because it's California. There's not a lot of basements, but I I envisioned myself on that show sitting there the way my heroes had and making Johnny. Also, in my stand up now, I I after doing impersonations for. Almost 40 years in my stand-up act I figured out a way to deconstruct The art of the impersonation in my stand-up act Which is basically If I can think of someone you like Yes And I can recreate them in front of you Yep I'll steal the affection you feel towards that person (laughs) Right I mean it's ridiculous It's actually a parlor trick so if I cross one eye and I say, geez, I hate to bother you, I don't mean to be a pitch. <laughs> if you like Peter Falk, I own you. Right. Not because I'm crossing my – a little bit because I'm crossing yes. my eye, which is naturally funny, and a little bit because the voice sounds like him. But a lot of it, if not the majority, is because who doesn't love Peter Falk? Mm-hmm. Well, I knew Carson loved Peter Falk because, again, as a student of the show, I saw he had Peter Falk on all, all the, the time. All the time. He all did. All the time. Yeah. Maybe not as many times as Burt Reynolds, but a lot. <laughs> And, and and Peter made him laugh like crazy, which is one of the reasons Peter becomes more yeah. endearing. Right. And I want to watch Columbo more because Carson loses his mind when Peter Falk's on the show. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I sat on that couch and I did Peter Falk for Carson, I would own him the way Peter did. Mm-hmm. I just knew it um, because I it was based on experience, <clears> like <throat> the one I just had with you. Yep. I, I knew what it was like to do someone's voice. And face and demeanor in front of another person or an audience, and have them lose their minds. It was like juggling. It was a parlor trick, and I it took me thirty five years to deconstruct it and and bust myself on what it actually is. <laughs> but I I <clears throat> I knew it would happen. So it took. I uh, my memory is a little sketchy, but it took well over a year from Maybe, the moment he asked you. Yes, and I would see him many <clears throat> times after. Really, either backstage with somebody. Wow. Because I, – I, and if I'm also brutally honest, there was a little bit of uh, fear and I was protecting myself. Right. I understand that. From not being the greatest stand-up comedian of all time mm-hmm. versus, holy crap, did you see Pollock? Paul- on the couch last night yeah and so i knew that there could be a potential chasm between those two right right so there was a little if i'm if i'm now old enough to be brutally honest to myself and your listeners there was a protective element as well
0: but weren't you worried that the opportunity would go away i mean you know how it is in this business i don't know someone asks you something on monday tuesday that opportunity is gone you just thought mid-20s fearless I'm going to take this guy for his word. The opportunity yeah. will always be there.
1: Yeah, I had I had gone in on a few auditions because people would come to the improv casting mm-hmm. directors and Barry Levinson himself, uh, who would eventually cast me in Avalon and, in fact, change my uh, yeah yeah uh, the trajectory of my career. Well,
0: I liked Willow too.
1: <clears throat> well, Willow was the movie. Wait, let's go. Willow well. was the movie that got me on the Tonight Show. It is. It is.
0: So that's the first moment you're yep. on. Yep. Willow, if you guys haven't seen Willow, I just went back and watched the trailer and remembered how much I loved that movie, it's on how Disney, much I loved Avalon. It's on Disney Plus right now. It is? It for you, Willow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: this so, way. No, this way. That's,
0: that's pretty much what what I did <laughs> in the It's such film. a charming little movie. It's, it's pretty a pretty sweet.
1: little movie. And, and so I got Willow, and I called Macaulay, and he had me on the show, and he says, what's the first question you want Johnny to ask you? Because you know there's a pre-interview. Right. And I said, just have him say, I understand you do impersonations. And I will launch into Peter Falk, and Jim, it'll be over. And that was it. And he said, he laughed and said, okay. Um, so you didn't
0: go out, you never did traditional stand-up on the show? or you, No. 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 It, it was always. It was like
1: 15, 16 months. <clears throat> wow. And, you know, I'm standing behind the curtain that night. Macaulay's the one who pulls the curtain back for you to walk through. Mm-hmm. That curtain that I had seen all my heroes come through. Mm-hmm. So I rehearsed it. Walking through the curtain before I got there that night, and I thought, "Do I wave to Doc and the band?" <laughs> and I thought, "No, you don't do that as a first guy, no, no. first time on." No, you don't. No, don't be nope. that asshole.
0: Get and also get to Johnny. Did you for any at any time did you think I should dance like they do now <laughs> as they walk on to this, the late night stages? Oh God, no,
1: no, right? Oh, what's of what's not. with
0: all the dancing that goes on these days? No, 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 <clears throat> no. it's not right.
1: It's it's worse than it's not right. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one asks you to be there to watch you. Dance. <clears throat> you're right. Yeah, <clears throat> but there is a long,
0: you know. Most people don't get to do that, and they don't understand that that uh, geography, that space, that long, that walk is long. It's short, but it's a long walk, and you start to overthink
1: it. If you unless you
0: have your brain, if you're there as yes. an
1: audience member, yes. it's a lot shorter than you thought it was. Yes, if you're there as the performer, you're yeah. right. It's a mile. It's a
0: marathon, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, how do I handle this? Well, my, my, and, my and most. People People don't know the answer to that. They think, I'll dance. Get to Johnny. I'll wave to Doc. Get to Johnny. Well, know. so
1: I said, I'll wave to Doc my second time. Uh, yes. Okay. Because uh, then I've been on already. Yep. Right? That's and, exactly right. And Carson will say, oh, We're excited to have him back. And yes. the audience will say, Oh, back. Oh, he's been here before. Mm-hmm. And then it's okay if I wave at Doc. Yes. So I don't wave at Doc. I go, th- Ladies, he's coming back from commercial. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, my next guest. <laughs> He's an actor, and I'm also told he's a comedian. He's got a new movie out called Willow. Uh, Please welcome Kevin Pollock. And I walk through that (laughs) curtain, and I get the hell over to Johnny, and we sit down, and he says, Now, we'll talk about uh, Willow in just a second, Kevin, the movie directed by Ron Howard. Uh, But um, somebody told me you do impersonations. Is that right? And without missing a beat, I crossed the eye like Peter Falk. I raised one hand the way Columbo did, and I said, Johnny, that's a bold faced lie. I don't know who told you that. And he it was one of those laughs where he pushed himself away from the desk and he's clutching his chest.
0: And what are you feeling at that moment then? Are you staying in the act or are you like i imagine—I just landed.
1: I imagine I landed it's uh, the most important uh, joke. I—it's uh, as big as any moment's ever been. It's bigger. Mm-hmm. It's not as big as when my high school mate uh, – I was thinking of using this as a parallel analogy, but it's not quite as big. <laughs> I went to high school with Dave Rigetti, who was a great pitching coach for the San Francisco Giants, <clears throat> where I'm from. Mm-hmm. and He pitched a no-hitter his rookie year on 4th of July. Wow. Not quite as big as that, but, <laughs> but the feeling he must have had, right, Yeah, was, was definitely how I felt. Wow. Because in my chosen <clears throat> profession, I had just pitched a no-hitter. Yeah. You I did just it. hit a grand slam in the World Series. Because I had formulated this ridiculous notion that this would happen. I was overly confident that it would go great because enough audiences and people individually had told me that my Peter Falk was was ridiculously good. So I had every reason to think this would happen. I'd done the math, right? It was a it was a, a logic problem. And the problem was solved. And so when Carson – I didn't expect him to push himself away from a desk and clutch his chest in laughter, which I right. had seen. Uh, I thought he would laugh very, very hard. But when he pushed himself away from a and clutch his chest, which I will continue to say, um, <laughs> I thought also in that moment, I'll be back. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, and he had That's me back. That's an exciting story. Three to four times a year until he retired. I mean it was – he he couldn't get enough. He just loved impressions. Yeah, he really, really did. Did you start
0: to run out of impressions? <laughs> well, <laughs> did you go, geez, now I've got to refill
1: this thing I, for and, Johnny Carson? Well, and so I can't be half-assed. I always, from an early age or early doing impersonations, thought, uh, although Rich Little's my hero when I first started. Rich Little was? Well, because he was the number one guy. Mm-hmm. But I did notice right away that Rich Little was not funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not <laughs> sure he would know funny if you hit him in the face with a comedy show. Yet we loved him. But yet we loved him because, the, again, this proves my de- deconstruction point. His, mm-hmm. his his impressions were so great that he mm-hmm. was able to conjure up. In fact, Dana Carby. I also
0: liked his name. I just liked when I was sure. a kid the name Rich Little because yeah. I was little. Uh,
1: well, there you go. Me too. <laughs> and Dana Carvey too. In fact, Dana mm-hmm. will will, uh, will confess the reason I'm thinking of him is that he and I learned our Johnny Carson impersonation from Rich Little. Ah. That's the thing. You always mm-hmm. get it from yeah. some, from someone. <clears throat> like we learned Nixon from David Fry, guy who had a comedy album out. Um, I worked with Dana on SNL, and I worked with
0: him on a pilot that we did for Fox that was a sketch comedy pilot. And you know, I said to him one day, we were both starring in it. I said, I'm not, this isn't what I do. I don't know why I'm in this. And he, every week, would teach me a little thing about impressions and doing sketch. And it was just, it was fascinating. And then I was thinking back to when I was an intern on SNL with him, and he would say, I have to play someone this week, get me some tape, and he'd look for, you know, this little little tick they had yes. and this little voice thing they had, and then he would turn the the volume up to ten on those things. That became his genius. And that bec- that's how he started the character. Yeah. He exaggerated it a
1: lot. But he, he would find two or the, three things. He would find the key. There was always a key. Right, right. Bush became not nah, gagged at, you know, yeah. wasn't, they weren't even words. Exactly. I remember being on the phone with him when it was like a Tuesday, and I said, who they got you doing this week? And he said, Ross Perot. And this is, we'd only <laughs> seen <laughs> Ross Perot on Larry King. We didn't really know much about Ross Perot right. at this point. Mm-hmm. And I said, Ross Perot, how are you going to do Ross Perot? Mm-hmm. He said, I don't know. They got me a tape of him on Larry King. I'm going to watch it. Right. And then we both just started riffing what what he was like from the, Larry King appearance we had both seen Mm -hmm. Um, we started riffing the impression on the phone and by the end of the call we both had a perfect Ross Perot and I said well this sucks because at the end of the the week you're going to become famous for doing Ross Perot Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to be some asshole who's doing Dana Carvey's Ross Perot that's right because we had nailed it on the phone but he he, he, uh, the key he found was Larry can I finish (laughs) can I finish Larry (laughs) Larry can I finish yeah and mine was to mock how Ross Perot had an analogy for everything, and it never made sense. And I would say, the economy is like peanut butter, see? <laughs> if you feed it to a horse and he chews on it, it'll look like he's talking. <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: he's he, he had me doing it within, like, two weeks. I was so impressed. He made it so easy. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching one of those clips the other day, and I was like, God, I was actually pretty decent in that thing. And it's all it was all Dana, you yep. know? Yeah. Taught me more, I think, in two weeks of production than I had learned in entertainment the whole time. we got to have him on. He's great. Do you see him up there? He's up in Marin County, isn't he? Uh, he's here a lot. <clears throat> he's. I, last time I spoke to him, he had uh, some set up in his house where he had a studio and a bunch of his friends coming over, and they would uh, just make weird videos that they would just put out to each other.
1: Was that like a year or more ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's here uh, a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I will text him and let him know you're looking for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm or good. you can text him. I will. Yeah. I, I just liked, I said, Dana, why aren't you making that a show? That sounds fascinating. So you've got a control room in your house, Yeah. and you've got comedy writers and cameras, and yeah. you're editing videos? Yeah. Why isn't that a show? Why isn't that its own YouTube channel? Yeah. Amazing guy. What's up? Brian Deegan here. I'm excited to bring you our podcast, The Deegans. That will be every Wednesday on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. We'll be covering many subjects such as racing, family, how we stay together, how we thrive as a family. So I think it's exciting. We're going to cover all those subjects and
1: many more.
0: Be sure you guys check out our new podcast, The Degans, airing every Wednesday on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. I want to talk about these movies. Should we talk about a car at some point? I mean, you don't have to. You know what? <clears throat> it's a car and a comedy podcast. If you're a car guy and you really want to get into that, let
1: we can do it. What do you drive? Well, I would like to know your take on the Tesla Model S. I'm on my third, and I've been on the te- <laughs> I, I've been on the since they first rolled off. Okay.
0: Well, what does my take matter? It sounds like you like them, right? Uh, it's a spaceship. And yeah, I, and, I, and it, so and you enjoy it, and it's good for the environment.
1: Uh, it, it will also take off the line almost any street car made. Yes. Because Maybe it not. doesn't have a combustion drag, as you know. Right. So, obviously, if you know how to drive a car with a combustion drag, you know how to get off the line. But, you know, 2.8, six. Yeah. Is the, that a you've thing? Got the
0: ludicrous mode, the fast one? Yeah. I don't. Well, you know, I I don't put much stock in any of the zero to sixties or the top speeds. Anyway, I I, I don't know. I'm more. Are you interested in doing an Elon Musk impression? (laughs) (laughs) That would make you happy. That would make me happy. Yeah, 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 because he's he seems to have lost his mind. Yet he's got this incredible career and
1: company. I don't know that he lost it. I think he was was always always gone. (laughs) I think he was. He's. You know, I think that he is. everything you say is going to get you in trouble. I think he's that genius that's that's just shy of the so-called spectrum. Right. And right. I think that that level of genius comes with that. Right, right. And right. they're not socially uh, comfortable. Right. And as much as I'm struggling right now trying to make sure I don't say the wrong thing, imagine, you know, that there's no editor and there's no um what will people think of me? <laughs> <laughs> that version of the spectrum, right? Right. So he ends up saying and, and doing a lot of things that that it's their emperor's clothing now. No one's in a circle saying, uh, maybe not, maybe don't <laughs> right. wear that and right. say that. Right.
0: And, and I think that leads to, but but you like the Tesla. You're on your third I'm one, a, yeah. Aren't yeah. you ready for uh, a new but I, exterior? But I look? grew
1: up. But I grew up. Um, my first car was the Austin Healey Sprite. Wow, I had that's a cool the, car. The Chevy Malibu. I, I grew up These with kind cool of cars. motor cars. Yeah, you know. I remember. Um, Did your dad have nice cars? Uh, my dad was no, he's not a car guy. So, but I do remember he had the uh, Volkswagen Bug when it ro- like rolled off. Really, the assembly, and we. We're in Germany. <laughs> we at that point it, well, it <laughs> rolled were... off in California. <laughs> okay. When uh, I know you guys go to Germany to get your car, so that, no, was, was, that was the saying, wrong thing to when say. When it
0: rolled off, where it begins? Well, when it first started. Yeah, that first back when the Hitler days. first hit
1: the states. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. After that. Well, again, we were California Jews. We yes. could forgive a lot of things. Um, but I do remember at that point we had moved down to the promise of the suburbs of San Jose, about an hour south of San Francisco. When there was a walnut orchard at the end of the street, not right. si- Silicon Valley at the end of the street. And um, he, we were going to all pile in the car. I must have been eight, nine years old. My, my brother's two years older. The four a family of four into the little Volkswagen Bug. Wow. We drove to San Francisco to see the hippies on haight Ashbury, mm-hmm. like we were going to Africa Safari. <laughs> yeah. So why that, were your parents interested in seeing hippies? <laughs> well, because in in San Francisco was the birth of the hippie, right? And they had they had they had. Taken over the haight Ashbury <laughs> intersection yeah. and a good part of the street. So, but what was what did what was the I'm not conversation kidding. with your it your parents? A, let's go see hippies today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's go see what's happening in San Francisco. Were they enlightened? Were they like this is interesting to us, or were they like they didn't share that much? <laughs> they just were fascinated by the news. I'm sure that and it was only have an, and it was only an hour away. And I think, by the way, think about it in terms of, you know, you said you have kids 9 and 11. Yeah. So imagine taking them to a social awakening. Yeah. uh, The beginning of a culture and Mm an era. My wife does this
0: all the time with my boys. Right. But that's different. But she's part of it, right? But I think what you're saying is like – dialed
1: in. My parents were not dialed in.
0: My mom would say things occasionally when we were young like the homosexuals. You know, I did – I enjoy driving through that part of town because I get to see the
1: homosexuals. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in 67, they definitely spoke like
0: that. Interesting. Yeah. So the homosexuals
1: in this case were the hippies. (laughs) The hippies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess that's the only way you would actually get – you know, see what other people are like. There's no internet. There's no anything else.
1: They took them took pride themselves in being called freaks yes so but they the were... parents never decided let's be hippies ourselves oh gosh no no in fact when we went <laughs> and we're driving down the street it was bumper to bumper like an african safari. <laughs> and i remember the car behind us was a Rolls royce right and it kept bumping into my dad's bug and he was losing his mind, pushing it hitting it just barely tapping it you know this giant tank of a of a rich man's car. Wow. And my dad was, get off my ass! You know, right, he, screaming. It was but hilarious. you all had
0: your windows. Were you throwing peanuts to the hippies? Oh, the, windows and, <laughs> the windows were
1: up. What? I mean, windows I'm were up. I'm telling you, this was an African <laughs> safari. For sure. These were wild the animals. Did hippies jump onto the cars? They like might. Wild animals. They might. <laughs> We don't know. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Also, we're not going to get that marijuana smoke inside the car, so keep right, the windows right. up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. And was the clothes, clothing really that different than what was going on anywhere else? Like, when you saw a hippie, it was
1: completely... I don't even know if there's an, uh, an analogy to to express how different it was. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is really funny. you remember the first time you saw Devo? No. Yeah, I do. Okay. you remember right. thinking... <laughs> What are they wearing? This was Devo? Well, no, just thinking, what yeah, are they wearing? Yeah, what's on their head? What are they wearing? Yeah. And why? That's the, feel. that the feeling. The that was the what feeling. That was the feeling. What is this music? Yeah. The hippies yeah. weren't dressed like Devo, but the analogy is, what Devo. the hell are they wearing? <clears throat> All right. So the acting was just, uh, casting directors would come in, and then everyone tells the young comedian. But did you, were you a trained actor? Or did you learn how to act? That's what I've been meaning to. I'm embarrassed to say lot. there's no formal training.
0: No formal training. You yeah. just. It sounds like you had it since you were 10. Uh, and you have no problem – I guess you don't – remembering the scripts and the lines and the – No, that's you,
1: a weird uh, thing that was – I didn't know it was there until I tapped into it. And, and to this day, even at the, my ripe age of – do you want to guess? Well, I keep – You're a little
0: older than me, but not much.
1: Well, I keep saying S- 10 and 60. 67, so I'm 62.
0: 62. You're a spry young man. Look at you. And you're younger than
1: Seinfeld. And I'm always going <laughs> to be younger than Seinfeld. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um all right let's let's talk about rob reiner who used to be maybe he's still in this building he and, was forever and a few good yeah, men.
1: castle rock uh what was maple drive
0: did you audition for for any of these films did you go in and read for them or did, they, did you just get cast
1: um in the case well a few good at, men let's at, stick with it yeah willow it, it was the starting point okay and i had done one little tiny movie uh, dino de laurentis decided to rip off It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and do a movie starring stand-up comedians trying to find hidden money. Mm-hmm. A complete ripoff. Yep. Not a reimagining, a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Rick Overton was in that movie as well as I. And so then when Rick Overton was cast in Willow as one of the Brownies, Ron Howard and he had known each other and had done, I think, Gung Ho or some movie together before that. And Ron said, well, I'm going to need you to improvise with whoever plays the other Brownie a lot. So is there anyone that you could suggest, pick three, four, five guys, I'll have them each come in one at a time, and they'll improvise with you in an audition setting, Mm -hmm. and we'll know. And that's how I got Willow. Wow. Because Rick Overton suggested me, and we improvised together, and off we went.
0: How long of an uh, improvisation did you do? And how many people were in the room? um, Was it Ron Howard? You've got Opie sitting there, (sighs) and you've got how many people, and you come in...
1: You know, I, I never feel the number 62 until this exact <laughs> sort of moment when I'm asked very specifics of a very Were important moment. Were they rolling moment. tape? Are you nervous? I can't picture anything in the Did
0: room. Did you know what he was going to throw at you to start the whole thing off? You don't remember anything? I can't picture anything. See, I would fail so badly in this situation. I would fail. I in would that fail. situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. I wouldn't get Willow. Rick, I wouldn't get it like you.
1: Rick Overton would not have suggested me if we didn't already guys have, vibe. have been playing. But it's different when you're sitting there and, In fact, know. when we were doing Willow... In San Rafael, just above San Francisco, we would drop down to the city to do shows, and we would call Robin Williams, who was hanging around, and he would come, and the three of us would improvise on stage together. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so improv uh, has, has always been in, in, in my uh, um, quiver, as mm-hmm. it were, and only recently, since I have your listeners— uh, did I decide to do a all improvised comedy podcast with some brilliant improvisers that I've handpicked? Right, right. It's called Alchemy This. And I would encourage your listeners to give it a, a sample if they need to all a, of it. If they need <clears> a <throat> comedy break from, uh, yes. from everything
0: else. I want to get, we have to but, promote all the stuff you're promoting here, too. Oh, no. But I, I want to ask you about a few good men.
1: Oh, geez. I've gone too long and we're already almost done. You
0: haven't done. gone too long.
1: We're almost done. There's no time
0: limit. Well, there is for me. <laughs> yes, and me, too. I've got a 10 of course 15. There I get a hop in a call. But. Um, A few good men
1: Whatever you want to know So, so I You're had on, done You're Rob, Rob Reiner Let's, Rob let's, let's Reiner, skip past you Get the part Rob Reiner Yeah I got the part uh, Rob Reiner and, and Christopher Guest Created a little show Called um, Originally Partners in Life And it became um, um, What was it, the new name Morton and Hayes mm-hmm. Chick Morton and Eddie Hayes These mm-hmm. two The comedy team from the 30s It, it was Everyone auditioned for this this thing. So I got that. It was a summer series. Nobody saw it. But I was in Rob Reiner's face every day working on it because he directed. And one day at lunch, he he waved his beautifully stubby <laughs> finger in my face <laughs> and said, the next movie I'm doing is called A Few Good Men. It was a Broadway play. I got Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get Jack Nicholson. But there's wow. a part as Tom's co-counsel that you're perfect for. I have an offer out to Jason Alexander. But if Seinfeld gets picked up for a second season, which Castle Rock produced— Rob's Which,
0: by the way, company. we don't think is happening at that point. Not season two. <laughs> yes, yeah, No, so it's on Friday. Yeah, yeah. They it's did not the Seinfeld
1: working. Chronicles. Right. They did four episodes <clears throat> only.
0: Yep. And it
1: tanked. Yep. So there was no season so two. So you're thinking, all right, whatever, I'm not getting So that's one. not happening. Right. But I did go home and start praying for Jason Alexander's <laughs> success. <laughs> um, and it worked out pretty well for both of us. It did. <laughs> yeah. It's always so, the right thing to do. Yeah. So there was there was that moment, and then there was. So,
0: so wait, you so you get cast in the movie, and now you're in scenes with Tom Cruise. What is Tom Cruise like at that point?
1: From the second I arrive at rehearsal, yeah, I'm treated like an equal. I right. mean, I mean, as if
0: is he as big at that moment as he is right now? Oh yeah. No, every, after Top Gun, it's it's over. Right. So that's yeah. post Top Gun, Tom Cruise. Yeah, big
1: dude. Do you yeah. get nervous? That you know, are you going to be able to work Not in a scene with him? Not only am I nervous. I think, oh, so this is the movie that I'm found out, (laughs) that I am a comedian with no formal training. Right. Because this was a Broadway play. Right. There would be no improvising. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob wanted to stick to the script. He he worked with Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the play and now the screenplay, to change a couple of things. Because in the play, they give away that uh, Nicholson's character, Colonel uh, Jessup. uh, From what I'm told, I've, I've only seen the play and it was a long, long time ago. I barely remember. But... One of the big changes was Colonel Jessup is it truly insane from the moment you meet him. So much so mm-hmm. that there's no question you're going to get him, trip him up on the right, stand right. later. It's just a matter of getting him there if you can mm-hmm. just land the fish. So they, so anyways, so yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm at rehearsal and Tom Cruise treats me like an equal, which it wasn't just like being a professional or being gregarious, both of which he was and is. It really was his work ethic that. Um, Every, I assume, time he starts to film, let's roll up our sleeves, we're in this together. And to this day, we're, we shared a foxhole in Nam. I mean, it, it's, I got your back no matter what. It's it's kind of uncanny. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and Demi Moore, too, uh, who was a giant star at that point. Um, in fact, are you a baseball guy at all? Yeah. yeah. So, so Rob is a huge baseball guy, Rob Reiner, and he said to me, look. Jack's going to hit a grand slam just when he walks through the door. <laughs> right, right. He shows up, he's Babe, he's babe Ruth. Uh-huh. So that means Tom's going to have to swing for the fences every time at the point mm-hmm. just to keep up, He's to go toe-to-toe. That's the movie. That's what people are coming to see. So to me, it's going to be swinging just as hard. I need you to hit one another gap, maybe bring in a run. You know? I What's need you it? to be the utili- utility player yeah. who the ball comes to you, I know it's going to happen. Right. Um Why does he tell you this? Before the during movie During rehearsal. During rehearsal. Yeah. Because okay. I, I I really am out of my element. I mean I yeah, yeah. that was the eighth film. I had died in Denzel Washington's arms in Ricochet. Mm-hmm. I had done Avalon surrounded by brilliant stage actors and somehow held my own. Um and, and the no formal training – so I remember I went to J.T. Walsh's trailer on the set of A Few Good Men. He played Markinson, spoiler alert, from 27 years ago. He's the <laughs> character that kills himself mm-hmm. uh, with his revolver. He works – Nicholson's right-hand man. He's a great uh, character actor out of Chicago, a lot of mammoth movies, J.T. Walsh, brilliant. And I confess to him in his trailer, I don't know what I'm doing. This is the movie I found out Wow, so you're panicking. What am I going to do? Yeah. And he said, we'd already been shooting for a couple of weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you're already doing a style of acting that people train their whole lives to learn. I don't know where you got it from. If this were a sports situation, you'd be what they call a natural. But then the the technique is called less is more. It's what you're doing. You're doing less is more. Yeah. He said there's a second half of that. Less is more, nothing is best. If you can do nothing and be interesting, you win. Wilford Brimley so, does that really well. That's right, and I've made a career out of doing nothing. <laughs> there it but is. But until until the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I'm sure you haven't uh, seen. Now that's you, very different. But you know people who have seen it. I've watched every episode. I'm a loud, obnoxious Jew, and it's bizarre. That
0: I've never... Who gets up at 4.30 in the morning? (laughs) And my wife stops it. Do you see Spike? He gets up at 4.30 in the morning like I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Can you believe they just did a run at 4.30 in the morning? Stop giving me shit about getting up at 4.30 in the morning because he gets up at 4.30 in the morning. I love that you had that moment. I yelled at because of that. I had to tell stupid
1: Carson stories. It took 45 (laughs) minutes to get that out of you. (laughs) I assume you've never seen an episode. But I'm playing... Did you see Avalon? Yes. Okay, so I'm I'm channeling Lou Jacoby from Babylon. Yes. Ah, the guy who yells, ah. you cut the turkey without me. No. Because I'd never played a loud, obnoxious character who's a blowhard who never stops talking.
0: There's, there's a guy named Rocco who comes to Bill's Malibu Kitchen where we have coffee, Jerry and I and the, and the gang. And he came in one day and he goes, Have you seen Mrs. Meisel? And I went, <laughs> What? Who's that? And I'm looking out in the porch. And he goes, No, it's a show. It's on Amazon. He goes, It's a gift.
1: Just watch it. It's and a who gift. Who is
0: this guy? Rocco Despirito, I think, is his last that name. He, he's a producer, a yeah. comedy producer, it, it right? He's just part familiar. of that. It's an interesting gang down there, right? Everybody from Chuck Lorre to you'll see a lot of folks down there. You and just they go, oh me. yeah, that that's the guy who drove uh, OJ Simpson in the white Bronco. <laughs> but it's mostly just people having coffee. So Rocco says, uh, and I don't, I don't know Rocco that well. Nice enough guy, but I know him as Rocco. It's a gift. You got to watch. It's a gift. I went home that night, a Saturday night, put it on with my wife, and, and there it is. It's a gift. So thank it, you. Thank it you. becomes this beautiful show. She now, on Saturday, you know, as you know, co-viewing can be difficult. We both find things. But I find this show, it's funny in a lot of different ways. It reminds me of Seinfeld in a lot of ways. It's just the writing's clever. The acting is great. The scenery, the the wardrobe, everything's beautiful about it, right? It all The whole thing works. Choreographed. All of you guys are fantastic. You're, you're elevating the writing in ways that it, they're completely unexpected, and and I'm having a nice time with my wife watching the stories. Right, right. Um, and it's it's that you know. Remember when Neil Simon said, uh, "Write
1: Yiddish cast British." Wow, this is right Yiddish cast Yiddish. <laughs> right, half, half the cast is not Jewish. Right, but they T- play Tony Shalhoub, Lebanese, natural born enemy. And t- you and Shalhoub, those scenes are fantastic. They're fantastic as an old man
0: myself. But, I yeah. love
1: watching your old man scenes together. And
0: now that you're living together in the house.
1: See, that's how brilliant of an actor Tony Shaloub is. Tony Award winner. He's an actual actor who who plays Jewish beautifully. Right. I'm just channeling old Jews that I had in my family. Right.
0: And no, but it's fun. You're his foil and you're the one who gets him upset. And your relationship with your son is great. I mean, and it never for a moment do I see Kevin Pollack. I see the character, and wow. it's, you know, it, you're really great at it, wow. and well, it's, it's rare in TV these days, right? And yeah. now I'm going to see Kevin Pollack. Now I know you. Sure. But but you're so good at playing that character, wow. and it's so different than anything else I've ever, you know, seen you play.
1: Well, as a writer yourself, I myself a proud member of the WGA since 1987. Yes, sir. Um, you know that... Any actor is only as good as the material right. that they then can lift and make better, as, yes. as you suggested. But if you don't have great writing to start with, your 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 role and your job can sometimes be impossible.
0: Your wife in that same episode, who's playing the TV loud, I, I don't know the actress who plays your wife, Caroline it's Aaron. So funny, her disruption. She's brilliant. And again, it's entered my house. I, I walked down. I, I'm working on a script right now. And I came down from my office and the kitchen was loud. And I go, oh, what? this is the <laughs> thing we were just laughing at. And now you're doing it. You're doing it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a testament to the show that it's entered, it enters real life, right? And it yeah. enters our lives and it affects us that way. And my yeah. wife really does get up at 430 and it makes me absolutely crazy. But you're not here to promote... Meisel? Maisel?
1: The Marvelous Mrs. Mazel, or, or my friend Bobby Slayton. You know Bobby Slayton, the comedian? I don't. I know, I know the you name. You know of him. Yes. He would like, say, Pollock, I love the show. Yeah, it's the, the, the Amazing Mrs. Matza. <laughs> <laughs> right. Steinfeld yeah. is what we heard. Steinfeld. Well, Rob Reiner yelled at Jerry about his name. Why? Steinfeld's not a name. It's either Steinfeld... Or it's something else, but it, but he just he always loved to yell at you. Did he want That's him to get not get rid actually of it? a name? Oh, he wasn't yelling mm-hmm. at him to change it in any way. He was just trying to be funny. I feel like I'm in the same boat with Ferriston. <laughs> I mean,
0: there are no other Ferristons in the world. Well, this weird. I think you, change your the, your father or grandfather. My grandfather yeah. Morris. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's misspelled everywhere. Sure, Ferriston, it's never spelled oh, correctly. I have to spell my last name by saying there's no C. Pollock is nice. There's, There's no. has got a nice ring, Kevin Pollock.
1: It's interesting because at eleven, I went to my mom and said, I, "I'm going to Pollock's clunky, and I'd like to be called Kevin Klein." <laughs> right at eleven, <laughs> there was no famous Kevin Klein yet. There wasn't. Her maiden name was Klein. Wow. And I said, "I'm going to go with Kevin Klein." She is that said, one of your biggest regrets that you could have
0: been Kevin? <laughs>
1: <Klein>. <laughs> Just for the Phoebe Cates of it all. <laughs> yes. Um,
0: you're here to promote uh, Three Christs, which uh, is open now, right?
1: Uh, three Christ just opened. It's uh, and it based... tells the
0: story of a uh, uh, sure. real life story of a psychologist who studied three men who thought they were Christ.
1: Yeah, so schizophrenics, based on a true story, in a drama. The late '50s, a drama. I play the guy who run, runs this um, asylum of sorts. Not a crazy asylum. More of, a – anyways, it's an institution. Mm-hmm. And the only way to deal with schizophrenia in 1958, 59 was electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. And there was this doctor who came in. There's a book written about the guy. He's really brilliant, that the movie's based on it, that Richard Gere plays, who comes to this, this place, institution, and says, let's treat these patients. Let's talk to them. He found that there were three patients in particular who thought they were Jesus Christ. He gathered them together. And this is where everyone laughs, myself included, and says, look. Let's go with the premise that one of you is Christ, but it can only be one of you. <laughs> right. So let's let's figure this out. Okay. Which one of you is Jesus? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wish the movie were a comedy based on that setup, but it is based on that. And um, I, as the, playing the character who runs the institution, I am not pleased with this upstart. Yeah. Um, Who's I trying have 2,100 different. patients I can't. There's no time for this.
0: And there's no there are no drugs that treat schizophrenia in any way at oh, that gosh, point, no. right? There's nothing
1: there's no take your meds and shut up.
0: So did this work?
1: Did yeah. it help them? You'll have to see the movie to find out. <laughs> of course it did. Otherwise people would say, Why am I making this movie? I mean, because you get three Jesuses. It helps to a certain degree. You know, schizophrenia right, right. is not something that just goes away. No, no. I yeah. know. Um, unless you have meds and you can mm-hmm. treat it, but but again, uh, so, anyways, there's that. A uh, little very scary movie, Apparition, opened at the, the end of December that's scaring people that I'm in. I play a sadistic guy in that. Terrific fun. And then um, the end of uh, uh, January, I don't know if you're a hockey guy, but there's a movie called Goalie, which is a story of Terry Sawchuk, a great uh, record breaking goalie from the 50s who. Uh, was it one of the last goalies to not wear a mask? You know, originally right. they didn't wear masks. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And took a lot of pucks to the <laughs> yeah, face. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. And so I played Jack Adams, this famous, almost infamous. Uh, there's a Jack Adams trophy, there's a Jack Adams league. I mean, the guy went on to be legendary himself. So Mark O'Brien plays uh, Terry Sawchuk, and it's an extraordinary. So, wait, you're story. on the ice. So uh, You're on the when ice. talking to the director, I said, so at no point my character is a former player, right. m- manager, and now a GM in the front office. I'm going to stay in the front office, right? There's, <laughs> there's not a point where I'm on the ice? And she said, no, he's not on the ice. I said, okay, then we can talk.
0: Yeah. Um, you also have this uh, CoverNowFund.org. And bless the you for asking. National Emergency Fund for men, men and Women of Law Enforcement. This isn't like... You know, these phone calls I get about the National Policeman's Fund, right? Where you're So
1: there's never been a wounded warrior type program on a national level for, right. for men and women in law enforcement. Right. It's all regional, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of cities and states that just don't have money. So the two issues issues we're attacking for CoverNowFund.org mm-hmm. is suicide is now three times the number of officers killed in the line of duty. Let that sink in for just a Just like soldiers coming back from... Yeah, these don't come back. And their families are left usually with the last paycheck. Right, right. The officers aren't old enough to have a pension, which is the Mm -hmm. majority of the cases. Mm -hmm. um, The family gets the last paycheck. So we're trying to help them through as many months as we can. The other one is catastrophic injury to officers in the line of duty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Catastrophic meaning they'll never work again. And so there's insurance companies that, that kick in. But like any big insurance company, they can't wait. To stop paying, and no, you don't need that wheelchair. You right, need right. this one, and, yep. and so Wounded Warriors and programs like that have done extraordinary things for military. In the same situation, there's never been a national relief fund for the men and women of law enforcement, and CoverNowFund.org is it. Wow, yeah. It's about, and what inspired you to do that? I, mean, I was I was just uh, uh, asked by the founder and CEO, this guy named Jeff Stein, who um, you know is an officer medically retired, and found that this was a gigantic problem a big hole right and came to fail. me just for some support for, on a celebrity level and you know we get asked to be a, a part of charity things uh i write checks i go to places i you know bob saget's got scleroderma. Mm-hmm. dharma uh, there, there's the great thing in kansas city for children's mercy hospital i go to every year um but i'd never been on the board of directors and and focused my attention on one thing. so when jeff came to me and talked to me about this, i realized i'd spent my whole life saying to any police officer i came across, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. they seem like actual superheroes who dress up in their in their armor <laughs> yep. and do battle every day in their life yeah. and their life is being threatened on a minute by minute basis yes. that every time they they punch in for the day's yep. work uh, they're under siege basically at any moment. So th- for f- for some reason as a kid, when I was reading comic books, cops were that. Mm-hmm. Um, military were, were out of town. Police officers were in my face and I would see them. And so anyways, I, I, I've always had that ad- admiration and appreciation. And here was an opportunity to actually do something for them. Right. Um, instead of answering the call from the policeman's fund. Yeah. It was, uh, ooh, a national emergency relief fund. That's so... Uh, We'll be doing some fundraisers. I'll be contacting you soon.
0: A bunch of my friends uh, from my hometown uh, became cops in my hometown. Butchie. Butchie. Hometown of? uh, West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. That's correct. My little buddies, uh, Butchie and Richie in the backyard that we used to play uh, basketball and wiffle ball with. Butchie and Richie are both cops now in my hometown. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I have nothing but respect for those guys, too. I, I don't understand how someone can get up and then maybe a few hours later, be tackling somebody and rolling around. And yeah. No, that's not knowing what's going to happen when that person rolls their window down when you've pulled them over. Yep. You know, that every one, time, have, a thousand times they yep. put a gun in your face. It's scary stuff.
1: And I think you're, you've tapped into another reason for my appreciation is any occupation that I look at and say, well, I'm not doing that because <laughs> right. I'm a coward, right? <clears throat> Gets my attention. I
0: kind of want it. Wanted, I still want to be a cop, I still like the idea of it. Yeah, um, and by the way, uh, I
1: don't like the paperwork. That's sure. what would stop me. The well, same thing I'm...
0: with car dealing too. I don't want to do the paperwork. I like the selling of the car, and I want to be done you with it. You got
1: that from a TV show from the '60s. What I don't do like mean? the paperwork. No, and I there's a hey lot of Pittsburgh, paperwork. don't give me any more paperwork.
0: <laughs> there is <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Um, but my co-host Zuckerman, who's usually here, he and I, uh, I think would be make a good couple of cops. We'd like the I, I wouldn't mind doing it for a day.
1: You should.
0: And I would I would sh- mostly, I would probably arrest mostly moms in my neighborhood racing between schools trying to get their kids to school late because they're the violators. Can I suggest that we
1: write this script, by the way? What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah? I suggest we write this script because- Part-time cops? No. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> if there's a, uh, if there's, if that's a thing. But the, the personality that you and Zuckerman have- Yes. As beat partner cops yeah <laughs> uh we've not seen that in a while you know yeah. what i mean i don't i might be too close to it yeah but maybe we've not seen that in a while i would uh, have
0: to constantly keep him from shooting people without well,
1: this place <laughs> stop be... telling the audience
0: strangling about people. the pilot episode yes that would be it well this has been great i've loved uh having you on here and meeting you and i can't believe we've done an hour already my pleasure You've got so much to promote. Uh, Maisel, if you guys haven't seen it, you go. that's your co-viewing. That's the one. you got to watch that. He's also got Three Christs uh, that's out right now. you got to check it out. And Apparition, available on video on demand, right? Yep, and goalie comes the end of the month. A goalie uh, at the end of the month, and the yep, uh, the charity we were talking about is CoverNowFund.org. Uh, it's an emergency fund for the men, men and women of law enforcement. and helps them. Wounded warrior-type uh, support for police officers. How about that? Kevin Pollack. My pleasure.
1: What a story. I'm embarrassed I brought up a Tesla. You're embarrassed you brought it up? Why? I could see it in your eyes. They kind of went dead. Well, It's not really a car to you.
0: No, they are. I like them. I I do like them a lot. I have a great deal of respect for them. I was thinking of it. You just said some of my best friends are black. You said uh, something that I picked up on right away, which is, I've had three of these cars. I'm curious about your take on it. That isn't. You already love it. And I think back from my car matchmaker days when people need help with cars, when I hear that, I know I can't help them. That person already knows what they like, and as long as they're happy, I'm oh, happy, Oh, yeah. I wasn't right?
1: looking for you to talk me out of it. Uh, and, I, and I think I also knew the answer, and I'm now not sure why I asked because having listened to the show, I know that – I think Porsche owns the majority of your heart. Yes. And there's a reason. In fact, there are several reasons. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about them. Yes. So if you're that – why would this electric sedan interest you? Because they are. I, you know, It's. It, it, I was looking
0: at them yesterday. Yeah. I built one yesterday. <laughs> you know, you, I have this love-hate relationship with the brand yeah. where one minute I can't believe how this guy is running his company and what he's putting on Twitter. And the next minute I'm like, we should get two. Did you see the <laughs> assault
1: vehicle of, an, of a
0: uh, truck? What's that? Oh, I did the Cybertruck. It looks like an assault vehicle. It's insane. And I hated it. And then I came home and my kids had it on their little Roblox game and they love it. And now I now I like it. You know, I'm in this weird relationship with (laughs) him. And that's maybe what you saw in my eyes. It's like I still I still don't know what to think. But obviously, you know, people love
1: these things. Yeah. And um, I'm a fan of yours, and this was a great thrill Thank for you me. Man. That's very, very nice. I, very nice I, of you I mean to say. Well, uh, so I'll have to come back, and I'll. Uh, <clears throat> please yeah. come
0: back and do your uh, impression. I'm going to bug you about the cops.
1: I think this is a show.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. That was Kevin Pollock, everybody. We'll see you next week on Spikes Car Radio. Thanks for listening to Spikes Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.